Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello there, Chris Evans here. Welcome to the Queen's Jubilee Week edition of the Best of the Breakfast Show podcast with Sky. Coming up, legendary director Danny Boyle spills the beans on his latest Disney Plus punk masterpiece, Pistol. The hilarious Stephen Merchant lifts the lid on the second series of his brilliant dramedy, The Outlaws. Blues rocker C6 Steve riffs about headlining the Red Rooster Festival and his upcoming performances at Carfest North and South. The outstanding Alistair Bruce has a right roll knees up telling us all about Sky's news coverage of the Queen's Platinum Jubilee celebrations and all Awesome author, the natural lifestylist Tony Riddle enlightens us why we should reconnect with our natural state in his latest book, Be More Human, which I have to say is absolutely off the charts good. All of that and so much more to come, so let's kick things off. Aussie Jane, tell us who's up first. Train spotting, slumdog millionaire. Yesterday, our next guest is a storytelling master, and he's only gone and done it again with the raucous punk biopic series Pistol, out today on Disney Plus. Here to tell us about Vicious and Rotten in a series that won't be forgotten, it's Danny Boyle. Yeah, baby. What do you think of that? That was pretty good. Thank we've got you it very all much. Oh, we've got it all going on virtually. It's the place to be. Tell the world, Danny. Tell your friends <laughs> across the planet. First of all, before we get into the show itself, and this is Pistol available on Disney Plus now, as of today, um, tell us about your relationship to punk. Oh, my God. I'm exactly the same age as Steve Jones. So when I read his book... There's a very harrowing part of the book. But apart from that, I didn't have an upbringing that included that kind of thing. I came from a very loving family, but everything else, it was like just... I mean, I recognised everything. I mean, it was just like... I I don't think I've read a book like it. I just thought, oh, my God, it's like all the details. I mean, he grew up in Shepherds Bush. I grew up outside Manchester. But it was virtually the same. All the reference points, everything, the interest in music, everything. And, And then I went to college and punk happened. I went to college in Bangor. In North Wales, and you read about it in the NME every Thursday. That was the only thing you trusted was the NME. <laughs> you didn't trust any other newspapers or radio or anything like that, unless you could get John Peel you used to listen to a bit. And it was an extraordinary force in all our lives at the time, I think, that whether you became a punk or not, and it just liberated you from what you were destined to be, I think. It sort of gave you a kind of freedom. They just broke something and they didn't have anything positive to suggest to put in its place, apart from just do it yourself or waste your life if you want. That option was open to you as well. But they broke that pattern that you were meant to follow. And literally since then, I don't think we have changed. I, I don't think we have stepped back into what the 70s were like, which were grim. Yeah, no, they were very grim. And people say, you know, um, you know, nowadays um, it's, it's, it's very cloudy, very heavy out there. But we were stuck as a country, as a nation. We were very stuck because uh, you could say we were broken. Um, but I don't think we were. I think we were stuck. And um, in the film, in one of your amazing films, Steve Jones is quoted as saying, we're not into music, we're into chaos. I mean, it's a kind of like, um, that's what they offered, was just something that uh, detonated the bridge 
There was this tiny bridge. We, I used to tell the actors, because one of the problems is explaining to these young actors what the 70s was like. <laughs> and when they said there was no stimulation of any kind. There was, it was so grey, wasn't it? Oh, my God, it was awful. It was looking black. back. It was grey so and black. You get a tri- talk about triggering reactions, looking at the old archive of the 70s. It was frightening. And you thought, oh, my God, I was 20 then. It's not like it looks like an alien world or, you know, from the a Victorian era or something. Yeah. But anyway, there was a bridge between being young and being old, and it was very short. You you became old very, very quickly. Like your mates started looking like your dad, dead quick, um, and started wearing clothes like him. And you and and girls started looking like their mums. And they broke that bridge. They just detonated it. And since then, I think that gap has expanded. And we live for longer and longer in that gap. And whole economies are based on that ever expanding gap between being young and being old. We maintain it as long as possible. Yeah, it was like a cultural Big Bang, wasn't it, I suppose? Yeah. And, uh, you know, ironically, off the back of the 60s, it was so liberating and so freeing, but I think people were so blessedly relieved um, that there was still a world here after the Second World War. You know, Hockney started painting in colour, taking over from Larry painting in all these sort of binary greys and, uh, and darker hues. Um, and then you had the progressive rock period, which was just like, it was like if you, if you, if you pull an all-nighter, you know, you dance like nobody's watching till about midnight, one o'clock, and then you wait for the sun to come up. <laughs> and, and that was the 70s, wasn't it? The beginning of the 70s and the prog rock and Rick Waitman, you know, he gets a little bit of stick. <laughs> I love Rick Waitman. He's brilliant. He's he doesn't brilliant, mind. He doesn't but mind. He, he ends up being thrown out of a, a window. He's on the telly at the time, but uh, nevertheless, it does happen. Um, uh, and then nobody really knew what to do next. Uh, and then uh, punk happened. 1975 is specified as the first sort of UK um, punk uh, sort of so the mustering of punk in the UK. What do you think was the first not punk event, but the first thing punk to happen here was? What do you think that might have been? Well, we say it was really this this concert at Central Saint Martins at the art school. That's where which they got because actually, and it is a link with the sort of sixties when pop music was linked to art school. Yeah. Um, very much like the Beatles and stuff like that. And Glenn Matlock, one of the original members of the band, was at, was at the college and they got the gig through that, though Malcolm claims responsibility for actually doing this it. This is Malcolm McLaren. Malcolm McLaren, yes, the manager of the band. And um, and, and I think it's that concert, really, that is the, tr- is the, is the tr- trigger point for the freedom that they unleashed. And it was interesting working again with these young actors, is once you play live, and I don't know this, I only know this as a, I've directed in a theatre, once you perform live, you gain this confidence from it. You suddenly feel empowered that you can be up there, you know, presenting work to people. And I think the confidence they must have gained from that, a feeling that they had a place here, they could put their footstep on the stage, triggered it. That's what I reckon it triggered. And was it a music revolution? Because they do say it's not about revolution. how revolutions begin, it's about how they end. Yeah, well, it did end very, very acrimoniously. And they split up and they go off to Brazil to, re- to remember they record. Uh, they start making the film, um, The Great Rock and Roll Swindle. They start making that there. And John goes up. Actually, John goes back to London and then he goes to Jamaica. We don't see any of this. Um, but he begins to develop Public Image Limited, right. another amazing band, you know, um, and they're all, yeah, they're, Cookie still lives in, uh, in West London, in Shepherd's Bush, pretty much where he was born. Um, 
And and Steve, as you know, is is in LA, and and John obviously lives there as well. And Glenn's another Londoner still. Yeah, I love Paul Cook's mum and dad. How they come across so <laughs> loving, aren't they? Yeah. He comes from clearly, and you can see he's a very very nice guy, he's a it. really genuine, genuinely nice guy. And uh, there's a lot of infighting goes on amongst that that group. Um, and has done over the years, but he's clearly the one who's retained the greatest sense of dignity about himself throughout. <laughs> and, it, and yeah, and it's his mum and dad probably, yeah. Mate, it's great to see you. Very nice to be here. Lovely to talk this about it. Thanks for watching. This show is awesome. It's awesome. Pistol, it's available today on Disney Plus and Danny Boyle and his genius friends are the people behind it. So it's out there. Enjoy, um, because they do all the heavy lifting and all you've got to do is turn it on. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. He's gone from the localities of Slough to Hollywood hits. Now this comedy genius is back in Bristol and has brought Christopher Walken with him. The Outlaws returns for Series 2 this Sunday at 9pm on BBC One and here to tell us more about breaking the law, it's Stephen Merchant. Yes, Stephen Merchant in the house! Uh, Right, the Outlaws, for people who haven't seen Season 1, tell them all about it. Why are the characters the Outlaws and who are the characters and who might inhabit some of those characters? There are seven lawbreakers who've done various crimes and are sentenced to community service, which, if people aren't familiar with that, is where you have to sort of, you know, pick up rubbish or, or paint a shed or something to pay back uh, the community instead of going to jail. And so we've got these sort of seven different people and they've met in series one and they sort of uh, come from very different walks of life and they begin to know each other, they begin to uh, become friends, but they also get embroiled in a kind of you know, proper, a crime scene, a crime, crime story that's going on behind the scenes. So um, we sort of tied things up to some degree at the end of series one but we left some loose ends and those loose ends come back to haunt the characters in series two someone said to me early on when I started writing comedy that you should uh, you should chase your characters up a tree and then you should throw rocks at them and so in series two we're really throwing rocks and, and half a breeze block and anything else we've got I lying around I love that that's great yeah. who told you that I think it was John Plowman at the BBC it's pretty cool it's good isn't it yeah. great advice really good advice so that's what we sort of done it's fun advice and it's, it's profound and it's useful and it's really useful it's really worth uh, bearing in mind if you are planning to write a, a hit BBC one sitcom and uh, so, uh, so that's it. But it's the same sort of mix of thriller and comedy and, and drama and some emotion, and and um, I'm very proud of it. And it's sort of Bristolian usual suspects. Yes, that's not that's not bad. Or a good... seven or something like that. Yeah, not quite as bleak as seven, but um, <laughs> there's not quite so many heads in boxes. Not, not yet. <laughs> that's right. I don't want to give anything away, but uh, yeah, Gwyneth Paltrow's head is, is not in a box. But um, yes, but well, and and, um, and it's 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 that combination of flavours that I like seeing when I put the telly on. You know, I like a thriller. I love a thriller. Chris, but I also like a bit of humour and a bit of drama and a bit of sort of human connection and emotion as well. So yeah. hopefully it's got a bit of all of that. Um, it's so clever because, you know, we're talking about Lockstock, we're talking about you coming in and Lockstock and then we're talking about Quentin Tarantino, yeah. you know, and writing things that are genuinely interesting, exciting, engaging, you know, uh, and some kind, sometimes uncomfortable because you don't know what's going to happen next, but are also funny, you know. Um, is that easier than writing out-and-out comedy? Is there any such thing as out-and-out comedy? Because if, if it doesn't have a heart, it's not funny in the first place. Well, I don't know about you, but I feel that life seems to have that mixture of the sort of the hilarious and the absurd and can also have the tragic and the dark at, at the same time. I mean, I don't want to get too heavy uh, on, a, on, a, on a morning, but I went to my grandmother's funeral. Keep it light, Steve. And uh, I was in my grandmother's funeral and we were in the hearse on the way to the uh, to the graveyard and I could hear the driver and the vicar in the front talking. And the driver said to the vicar, do you, uh, do you drive, vicar? And the vicar said, no, I had to choose between drinking and driving and I chose drinking. And they high-fived. <laughs> 
And I'm thinking, my grand's dead in the back here. But to them, it was just another day at the office, wasn't it? You know, well, why wouldn't they sort of have a little laugh? And I think to me, that sort of sums up, I guess, my experience of life, the comic and the uh, tragic kind of side by side. And that's what I've tried to capture in the show. Well, they're giving it the old Tiger Woods is what they're doing there. What's the old Tiger Woods? So the Tiger Woods is right. Tiger Woods says um, famously, uh, if you know about these kind of things, that you can't think about a round of golf for six hours. It's impossible. Uh, but a round of golf, especially competitively, often takes between you know five and six hours. Far too long. It yeah. has to be said. Uh, but if you try and focus on the golf for that long, it's not going to work. So what he does is he doesn't think about he thinks about anything but golf until he's within six feet of the ball, and then he starts thinking about the next shot again. And then he hits the shot, and he allows himself to think about that shot until he's six feet away from where the ball was lying, and that makes his golf game all the better for it. So what they were doing is they were relaxing in between what was really important, which was your grand's funeral. That's a really nice way to look at it. Because, you see, I thought it was, it was um, that they were just sort of being kind of heartless. Uh, and, and, but no, you're right. You're absolutely right. Because you can't just dwell on the somberness yeah, of a funeral all day, can you? No, no, no. Also, you, you know, they're going to use up their energy. It's exhausting, you know. You know and, and had they been more solemn, how would you have benefited? First of all, we wouldn't have this, this, this great sort of uh, um, uh, sensitive yet... Um, uh, light-hearted and heartwarming tale to talk and now about. is it right Chris that you don't think about what you're going to say until you're within six seconds of saying it no I'm much later much than later that, than that. <laughs> usually six seconds after I've said it yeah I heard the first bit of the, the, sorry the second bit of Tiger's Advice but I haven't really got my head around the first very good though Steve very good uh, so I know you've been asked this what question am I going to ask you now about about outlaws you know Christopher Walken of course of yes. course um, before we get on to Christopher Walken let's talk about the fact you've just come back from America because this show is airing in America and you've been doing this kind of thing over there which is I know you've done it before over there but it never gets not exciting does it it's still quite thrilling yes I agree it's it's uh, you know doing those things like the Jimmy Fallon show and yeah, those late night talk on. shows I mean, they're all on. but I think I, when I first went out there I didn't realise you know if you go and do the Graham Norton show or a lot of shows here they'll often speak for longer than makes it onto the TV and they cut out the sort of dead bits and so I didn't realise that so I went there and I would sort of meander and they'd go oh no the seven minutes is up now and I thought well I haven't got to a joke yet and so now I go and I'm much more primed you know like I really try and think of what, what my seven minutes of, of shtick will be you know so yeah. I'll do my Bruce Springsteen story or whatever it might be and um, and I and I quite enjoy it now because I like that. There's a real sort of I don't know what the word is. There's a sort of there's a professionalism to it, Chris. Yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's sort of unwritten. Uh, it's it's a, a tacit agreement, isn't it? You la you hit the ground running That's over it. there. It's completely fine. Uh, well, have you seen the new David Letterman show, um, My Next Guest? I've seen some of them. Oh, yes, don't you yes. think they're great? Really good. I yeah. think they're so good. And what I then realised after watching those with Letterman is that that's why I liked him late night because he actually did interview people. Right. Whereas now the the Host, uh, this pressure on the host of the late night shows in America is so much on, on the bits, the funny bits, that they do ask a few questions too, but they basically leave it up to the guests. To be honest, I think you could reply to anything and they wouldn't really know what, what you well, said. I think it's like, I think, that, I mean, wishing, without wishing to blow smoke up yours, Chris, it felt like when you first came on TV, blow you, away. You, start, you were listening to people and you were reacting and, and, you know, that was part of the fun of the interviews that you did is we never knew where you were going next. Whereas at the same time, you'd have people like Des O'Connor and it'd be like, hey, Jethro, <laughs> do, I, I hear you came here today on your bike and then Jethro would do five minutes of material about bikes you know and you, like you say it didn't matter what you know yeah. Des was there or not you know, Jethro could have done his material or whoever it might have been I don't think Des was there <laughs> ever <laughs> I used to love that show Steve it's great to see you man uh, don't leave you so long next time and uh, enjoy your break I know you've got a well deserved break now and uh, good luck with the show it's such a pleasure to be here thanks for having me guys okay Outlaws 9pm back on BBC One this Sunday it's the big show on Sunday night 
The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. This royal household's officer of arms knows his scones from his scones and his mams from his moms. He's got plenty to tell us about Sky News' coverage of the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. So please give a right royal welcome to Alistair Bruce. Good morning, Alistair. Good morning, Chris. <laughs> um, we're really excited. We're not quite sure why, um, for many and varied reasons. How excited are you? I think I'm really hugely excited. I think that in the usual way, the British hate to get excited about anything. <laughs> we don't like standing up for the national anthem much. We certainly don't put our right hand on our left chest when it's playing like they do in America. But it's extraordinary. Sometimes when a jubilee gets going, everyone goes mad. Why not? All right, so we're counting down now. It feels like it's already started, to be honest. It does feel like a Friday. It's the most sort of Friday-feeling Wednesday I've ever experienced. And so how might the events unfold, culminating in what seems to be the icing on the cake on Sunday? Yes, the pageant on Sunday will be fantastic. It'll start at about lunchtime and go through to just after five o'clock, where the whole sort of panoply of military life, which, of course, I came from, then a scan through all the decades and a celebration of the Queen throughout. And the Queen is an icon that we've all got used to. We've seen her in every part of our lives for most people. And I think for her, it'll be quite... I don't know. I I expect she's just, you know, ready to go through the next four days in the way that she's done throughout her reign. Yeah. But for us, it's a chance to celebrate. OK, so that's Sunday. Uh, can you take us, not chapter and verse, but the headlines of Thursday, Friday, Saturday, please? Well, we start tomorrow morning covering for the build-up to the Queen's Birthday Parade, which is trooping the colour that people recognise year on year at Horse Guards Parade. It hasn't been happening there for a bit because of COVID, but it returns on Thursday. And then in the evening, there's the lighting of bonfires all over the United Kingdom, those that want to uh, light them to celebrate. And then on the next day, Friday, the Queen will go to St Paul's Cathedral, we believe, where a service of thanksgiving will take place in the very traditional way. Uh, there are concerts. There are all sorts of other things. The Queen's going to go to Epsom Down to watch, hopefully, some races uh, and also the derby. And then finally, on Sunday, there's that pageant. Yeah, so, um, you know, you're going to have to pull a few all-nighters. This is going to be your version of election coverage, isn't it, Alistair? (laughs) Definitely. Well, I've done it a few times now because there have been quite a few uh, of these great jubilees during the time I've been broadcasting this guy. But, you know, the energy and the excitement of the team that put it together and all those who have injected their creativity in these events and people are going to throw themselves into it because that's just what we do yeah and i think you know uh, as always there'll be people you know on the edge on the periphery um you know not sure which way to jump but i think you know half an hour in uh, it'll be done and dusted everybody will be like yeah what the heck let's just party but chris the great thing about the british is that we are free to decide whether we want to get involved in this or walk away from it yeah we're free to decide whether we like the institution or have nothing to do with it. And, you know, these are complicated times. Some people are going through a really tough period and the nation isn't having an easy time of it. So in a way, there's lots to be happy about and plenty of things to be less so. But if everyone can get something out of this, then it's there. Let's enjoy it. 
I think what a lot of people, not everybody, not 100% of the people, but I think what a lot of people agree on, regardless of what they think about the royal family, um, past, present and going forward, and many people, you know, they have their own sort of internal jury out on that decision, um, you know, and reserve the right to have no opinion on anything. You don't have to have an opinion on these things. But I think generally we all pretty much love the Queen uh, as a human being, uh, as a woman. We realise that she's put a shift in and some, you know, over her 90-odd years on the planet and now has 70 years on the throne and she does deserve and she does garner respect from all corners i think when you bear in mind that it's only on mondays that she doesn't get red boxes from government <laughs> which she has to go through and function as monarch in order to make sure that the system of the executive can work you know that's every single day of her life since she became queen uh, on the 6th of February, 1952. That's quite, as you say, a stint and some. Yeah. And at the same time, she's had to hold a steadiness while the political furore of life goes on all about her. And I think we've been reassured from time to time in difficult moments because she's just been there. And I think it's saying thank you for being there for 70 years. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I would find it hard for anybody to disagree, you know, with regards to that particular aspect of what she does for a living, because she still is work. She's 96, is she now? She is 96. 96. She's 96 on the 21st of April. Yeah. So, yes, she's well into that, yeah. Um, can you tell us about some of the highlights that we might see, like the royal carriage, for the coronation carriage, for example? Because that's like, what is that, 300 years old? Just approaching? The coronation carriage was made in the 1700s and it was used first at the coronation of King George II. Wow. And it will be trundling through the wonderful Mull uh, at the pageant. I had the chance to have a conversation with the Queen about her coronation on BBC a few years ago. And I talked to her about what it was like in that carriage. And she said it was horrible because it <laughs> was rather like being at sea because it rolls around on leather springs. Yeah. It's very, very old. But, of course, she went in a procession all around London that lasted four and a half hours. Alistair, you're awesome. Who do you have with you as part of the team uh, this weekend on Sky News? I've got Kay Burley leading us. She is a wonderful presenter and keeps me uh, in order. And then we've got <laughs> Joanna Lumley. And Joanna wow. is a star. She's great fun. <laughs> Good for you. Um, and will you get time, you know, a little bit of afters, a little bit of sort of post-show, the odd post-show cocktail? I mean, Kay's around. There's, there's often um, uh, a party to be had. Well, I, as far as I'm concerned, I don't know what the plans are, but I always go along with anything. Uh, if there's a party <laughs> to be had, Chris, <laughs> I, I'll follow on and uh, try not to be too much of a stuffed shirt. Right, Alistair, which bit are you looking forward to most or is it uh, an embarrassment of riches and that's not important? Well, Chris, to be honest, because I joined the Scots Guards in 1979 and went to the Falklands with them in, the, in 1982, I'm really looking forward to the Queen's Birthday Parade and Trooping the Colour, which is tomorrow morning. All right, well, Alistair, thanks for your expertise now. Thank you for your service then. Uh, good luck and give all our very best to the Sky News team. Have a great one. And you, Chris. All the best. Bye-bye. Cheers, pal. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. This wholesome man can make you a fire, make a guitar from scratch, but most importantly, make you beam with his raw brilliance. From playing the blues in bars and barns to headlining main stages, including this year's Carfest North and South, it's the man, the beard, the legend, C6 Steve. Good morning, Steve-O. Good morning, brother Chris. Good morning. What an intro. I know, it's not bad. She nearly, she nearly got out as well. Um, Steve, where are you touring? Uh, how long have you been touring for? And uh, how, are you, how have you been, man? I, I've been, we've been out since the end of April. 
and we've been having really fun. But in the middle of it, I got the COVID, so I had to. I got real sick, so I had to cancel a bunch of shows. But now they're getting rearranged, and but I'm back out again, so I, I'm alive again. So your COVID experience, I mean, it was pretty extreme, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I thought because I have all the vaccinations, so I thought I was just going to get a little bit, of, but it kind of knocked me down on my knees. And uh, so I, I was a little bit in denial. I kept thinking, yeah, I know I got it, but shoot, it seemed like I should be able to go keep, no, no. So I had to stop. And But then I, I went, stayed home for a couple of weeks and got pretty good. And then we went out and we've been over, we just got back from, we was in uh, Amsterdam at the Paradiso and Daroma and Belgium and, in Luxembourg, and yeah, we have a couple of days off, and then we're playing this uh, Red Rooster Festival on the weekend. So I'm back, I'm yeah. back in the saddle. Dog. You are back, and the Red Rooster Festival, um, you know, never bad anyhow, is all the better for it. If you want to go and see C6 Steve and his pals this weekend, redrooster.org.uk is where you need to go for tickets. And this is taking place in Suffolk, which is next to Norfolk, uh, which is all part of East Anglia. And let me tell you, you know Vassos, who works on the show, Steve. He, he has been giving East Anglia some stick this morning. Yeah, as why? I don't know why. Because he's insane, I think, mostly. <laughs> Steve, somebody texted in who'd been to a festival called Rock On Norwich. And I just thought that sounded a bit funny, a bit Alan Partridge. I'm sorry, I, I just don't quite get the whole thing together there. But yeah, they, they can rock exactly. in Norwich, can't they? Yeah, exactly. That's what I said, Steve. <laughs> How dare he disparage Norfolk? Sure, um, man, and, and this festival's pretty cl- just down the road from there, man. Yeah, I know. And also, if you you know if you've been to Norfolk or Suffolk, it's like one of the it's got one of the coolest vibes on the planet. And you know, you know, you know, this festival that uh, I'm going to go play. I mean, there's some true Mississippi bluesmen exactly. coming there, like uh, the grandson of R.L. Burnside, Cedric Burnside's coming, and he's amazing. And the North Mississippi All Star, so. We're going we gonna, to uh, uh, dish up some soul food, man, I swear to God. Yeah, soul food. I mean, it doesn't get any cooler than that, Vassos. <laughs> Does it? And that's just down the road from Norwich, so yeah. come on now. Come on yeah. now. Yeah, and they, they, they have a lot of pigs there. It's a big pig farming community, and um, <laughs> it's true, it's true. And um, they feed the pigs on the sediment from the ale from amazing breweries, world-round breweries such as Adnams, and they say about, uh, about Adnams pigs, Adnams pigs, Pigs are happy pigs. <laughs> it sounds like a commercial to me. <laughs> well, I know, but it's true because it can be a commercial and it can be true. Steve, the Red Rooster Festival, I mean, it just sounds um, amazing. What is the vibe like there? What is the- I, I've never been there. This is my first time, but I, and I, I, I almost wasn't able to go do it because we had other things and stuff. But then when I heard my friends was coming from Mississippi... I just like I go. I haven't because uh, one of the guy in the North Mississippi All Stars. He he makes the records with me and Dan. So you know, so we're gonna he, when they're gonna play, and then he's gonna Luther. His name is Luther Dickinson. He's gonna come up and play with us. So I think it's a real like home cooking kind of thing, you know. And I know yesterday or the next the day before we come, this fella who's a really amazing white soul blues man, Jim Lauderdale's there and. And so I, it's it's going to be. I mean, all these. It's very rare that these southern bands actually come over to England. So it's it's. Uh, if anybody's into like the, you know the, the North Mississippi uh, hill country blues, man, this is going to be the place to be. I think. Do you know what? 
the Queen knows how to pick a weekend, doesn't she? You've got like <laughs> Liam Gallagher playing Nebworth on Friday and Saturday. The Queen knows how to sort of hop it's on parties, the parties, man. Yeah, how to hop on the back of a party that's already going on. You got the Killers playing this weekend as well. You oh got, my God! You got your festival going on, uh, RedRooster.org.uk. It just sounds absolutely wonderful. I mean, the thing about going to a blues festival is, let me tell you. Uh, the last thing a blues festival gives you is the blues, which is quite ironic, yeah. I think. And that's something, I mean, that's, that, that's the secret of the blues. <laughs> and I, got something, I got something funny to tell you. Come on, tell me. I'm going to tell you this because it is funny. Right. Well, that boy Luther, who's going to be at that festival, and me and Dan, well, we, this year, last, or last year, I don't even remember now, we made a new record. It's not out yet, so I ain't trying to sell it, but there's something I want to tell you about it. The name of the record is called only on vinyl right and that's because it's only, only on, on vinyl. vinyl so the question is yeah, come do on. you have a record player at your studio we have a record player at the studio i have three at home well i, I know you have it i just yeah. because yeah sometimes because this record is not going to be on spotify it ain't going to be on the iTunes. iCloud. It yeah. ain't going to be on the telephones. No. It ain't going to be... The only place it's going to be is in a record store. The only place it's going to be is where it should be, in the record yeah, store, so my friends. everyone goes... So people say, Steve, you and Dan is the dumbest band in the whole world. <laughs> you guys are the, we're, we, We've been told we're the only band in the whole world who's doing that. Yeah, but that's why you're you. That's why you're geniuses. <laughs> and they said, that's called commercial suicide, also, Steve. Also, you've got nothing to prove when it comes to your groove. No, man, we, you know, so you know what, I wanted to do it one time like it used to be where you, like, if you want to go hear some music, you go to the record store and look at through the records and, you know, just have that for a lot of people to have that experience again. So uh, anyway, for us, it's the most funnest thing. I'm so excited to just have a record like it used to be. Uh, Steve, have a great day. What, what are you doing today? Uh, not much. I'm going to go, my car was getting some work done. I'm going to pick this car up and then me and Dan is going to come back here and saw some wood. What do you do? Saw some wood. You remind me of t two old guys I overheard a few years ago when I was in France and they were having lunch and they were sort of, they were just in, in a very glorious winter of their lives and they just finished their lunch and, and one said to the other, what should we do now? He says, hell, let's go buy a chicken. <laughs> and his friend said, what the heck, let's go buy two. <laughs> Let's live a little. I thought that's where I want to be. Steve, thanks so much for being here. Um, good luck to the Red Rooster Festival uh, this weekend, and I can't wait to see you at Carfest. Goodbye. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. Our next guest completely changed his life at the age of 38, and he shares his tips in his debut book, Be More Human, which is out now. Here in the studio, it's a man whose life goals are anything but little. Please welcome record-breaking barefoot athlete Tony Riddle. All right, Tony. Tony, welcome back, pal. Welcome back, yes. How Good morning. Are you? Good morning. I'm, I'm great. This Having book a great is, morning. This book is fantastic. Thanks, man. It really is. I mean, uh, you know, all the stuff we talk about on the show, we have done for years, we will do hopefully forever. Um, if you want to buy one book that encapsulates all of it, this might be the one. Oh, wow. Seriously, uh, Be More Human, How to Transform Your Lifestyle for Optimum Health, Happiness and Vitality. It covers all the usual suspects as far as the bases are concerned, but there are things in here that I have never read before. And I've read all the books. You know that, Tony. I have to for a living. I've heard all the podcasts, etc. Um, breathing and Being. Breathe and Reboot on the Hour. So simple. Tell Isn't us it? about that. So um, every hour, you can have a timer set or even a post-it note to look up at the clock. Um, 
just take a long inhale up through the nose, relax the belly, relax the lower abdomen, pelvic floor muscles. We're all so tense down there. Yep. Learn to let that go. Long inhale up through the nose and an even longer exhale. So if you were all to put your hands on your pulse right now, yep. you find that when you inhale, there's a slight pickup of your pulse. Yeah. But when you exhale, there's a dropping off of that pulse. So it lowers heart rate, lowers blood pressure. Just that simple cue, inhale up through the nose, long exhale. That can be out through your nose or out through your mouth, whatever's easiest. Um, repeat that six times. And on the hour? On the hour, and that's roughly a minute. So it's like four seconds in, six seconds out. Six of those, that's a minute. Everyone has a minute, right? Yeah, so, just, so and it's a whole chapter on, on and that's breathing. that's game-changing. But it is game-changing. And I've never thought about the hourly thing, and I've never thought about the six ins and outs, and it makes so much sense. Um, rewilding, according to the Cambridge Dictionary, rewilding, according to me, but also rechilding. You talk about rechilding as well, don't you? Yeah, well, again, it's um, a playful state of mind I'm looking to encourage. So that can raise happy hormones again can enable us to even deconstruct stuff that trauma even perhaps, you know, it gives us an opportunity to play something out and perhaps see ourselves in a different position in life. You know, imagine using, you can use your imagination brain to suddenly through a playful act, see yourself in a different position. And that's very, very powerful. Yeah, and your champion, your patron saint of this in the book is this guy called Yehudi. Tell us about Yehudi. Oh, Yehudi's a legend. So he's now 82, Yehudi. So he first came to see me when he was 72. Wanted to learn how to walk, had a crumpled posture. So I said, right, get on the treadmill, we'll record you. Because until you see it, you have no idea. People say, oh, stand up straight, but you have to see it almost. So I encouraged him to look at barefoot patterns. We rewilded his feet, rewilded his posture through ground sitting patterns, removed the chair. You know, fast forward, suddenly find out why he wanted to learn how to walk, and it was to celebrate his 50th anniversary to climb Everest. He since then did Everest Base Camp, Bhutan, Mount Kenya, Atlas. Um, and then his commute, working commute, <laughs> Is crazy, right? So he walks down to the tube and he's like barefoot footwear, Vivo barefoot footwear, jumps on the tube. People usually say, do you want to take a seat? He's like, no, 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 I'm okay. So he hangs off the rail when the tube's moving. Then he either um, squats when it's resting, the tube, doors open, then he gets back up on the bar or he surfs. So surfing is don't hold a rail, just stand and balance. A bit like being on a, a morning commute, a power plate. Imagine that, the stabilisation that has to occur. So he has a whole workout on the way to work. But most people say, do you need a seat? And he's like, no, no, no I'm OK, because yeah. he's a, like 80-something year old And dude. like you say, he came to you when he was 72. Um, you know, and it wasn't that he was trying to refine or regain any past fitness. He had not led a fit life, had he, this guy? No, but the point being, he's a huge inspiration because he's now 82. So this whole conversation we have is, oh, you know, it's too late for me. or never, I don't have a, It's never, never too late. late. He's 82. But... There's also some stuff in there around the ice bath, getting him in the ice, because he was born um, a stillbirth, um, cold oxygen, cold slab, terrified, PTSD, like, uh, really early stuff that you wouldn't be able to kind of get to in any kind of therapy, let's face it. Traumatised by cold, terrified of it. I spent an hour the night before a workshop convincing him to come. Got in the ice bath, first one to get in there, roaring, screaming, <laughs> had this complete rite of passage. And then since that moment, he's been going to the Hampstead Ponds or the River Lee five times a week mm. for the last two years, all the way through the winter. I mean, again, just so empowering to even hear that or understand it. And it changes your perception 
of 70s and 80s. Because to me, when I was younger, looking at a 70-year-old or 80-year-old, I was like, oh, you know. Even someone in their 40s yeah. when I was in my teens, because we were indestructible then, right? Yeah. But this guy is suddenly changing the template for me of what you can be doing in your 70s and 80s. I think it's absolutely awesome. And you talk about your retreats as, as well. Um and uh, the hundred, uh, the riddle hundreds, uh, which are now uh, going global, and who knows beyond. Um, just talk to the about the retreats. So, like one guy came, and it was clear to to you that all he needed was sleep. So you said, "Look, forget all this rewilding that I was going to do with you this weekend. Just go to bed." Yeah, because you can rewild your sleep. You can rewild your gut. You can rewild your movement. You can rewild your breath. You can, you know, you can rewild your sleep. So he stuck around, but he did major on sleep. Yeah, that's the point. And it was, you know, most people just we're either upregulated or we're smashing coffee in the morning. And, and what 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 is that? It's a symptom of something. So for him, yeah, I could try smashing him through movement and going through breath and getting him in the ice. But actually, what he needs clearly is sleep. And he had a template of I I can never sleep. So what's the worst thing you can possibly project is I can never sleep. It's just a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? So that sleep was the major one with him. And then on the 100 human experience that we offer, that's getting 100 humans together and having this amazing experience where they all work through the practice together rather than a festival where you go off and meander around. And this is taking 100 humans together through breath work, movement, um, cold immersion, voice awakening work, because we all can all get a bit locked up in here. So God, it we've lets got, all we've that got stuff to out. do this. We've got to have the Virgin Radio Riddle. Oh, come along, man. Love it. Um, Thirty seconds left. Uh, where, wow. do pe- where do people go? What are the, what are they? Um, well, all the all the stores online. It's available. All good quality bookstores. What book about stores. your website? Um, website com and on Instagram at The Natural Lifestyle Events this, this summer? Um, 100 Human Experience, 25th, 26th of June, and then a retreat at Broughton Hall with Balance Holidays, which is the last bank holiday weekend. That's August weekend. All right, mate. It's great to see you. Look as Boom. healthy as you've ever done. You might look a bit healthier. <laughs> Not quite sure. It's a very high bar where you're yeah, going to yeah. Nice. Great we to all see worship you. at Great the to see you. altar of Tony. You are brilliant, mate. Thank um, you so much, more man. More human, how to transform your lifestyle for optimum health, happiness and vitality. Website again, Instagram again. Go. www.tonyriddle.com and at the natural lifestylist. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. Thank you so much for listening to this, the podcast of the Virgin Radio Breakfast Show. Don't forget you can subscribe and get it every week from wherever you get your podcast and you will never miss the weekly roundup of all the best bits from our Virgin Radio Breakfast Show with Sky. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.